You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Election College, episode 94. He received more electoral votes than any other presidential candidate in U.S. history who never won the presidency. We're talking about William Jennings Bryan. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, we talked about this guy a lot in around the turn of the century William Jennings Bryan don't you wish sometimes that you had like a name that naturally flowed that people would just like in a hundred years remember you by your first middle and last name like it just seems like more I don't know renowned or something it does it seems like wow you could I mean having a name like William that automatically uh-huh. establishes you as oh this isn't just Bill we're talking about or Will or Willie I mean he's Will Yum. Did anybody call him Bill? <laughs> well, later on, people did. There were some, I think President Truman referred to him as Bill. And I don't know if that's, they called him that to his face or anything like that, but go figure. Yeah. We'll call him William Jennings Bryan. We don't have a nickname for him. That's right. Should yeah. we? No, I think, I think old Bill is just fine with William Jennings Bryan. That sounds dignified. Okay. William Jennings Bryan, it is all three names every time, except for an occasional Bryan. So William Jennings Bryan, he was born in 1860, and he was known for many things. But let's talk about his early life just a little bit. Like I said, he was born in March of 1860 in Salem, Illinois. His father was Silas Lillard Bryan. And his mom's name was Mariah Elizabeth Jennings Bryan. Now, Mrs. Bryan was of English heritage, and she was a Baptist. And his father was 
a Methodist. So this guy spent a lot of time on <laughs> a lot of time in church on Sundays going to Baptist services in the afternoon after having attended Methodist services in the morning. Yeah, and don't worry, all this uh all this talk about which denominations he belonged to will pay off at some point. But uh there was at one point where William Jennings Bryan, see, I'm using all three names, where he started going to the Cumberland Presbyterian Church in the afternoon. So in between services, oh. he even went there. And uh, around age 14, he went to a revival, got baptized, and joined the Presbyterian Church. And, you know, he credits that as the, the largest day of his life. So uh, I think you're getting the point, but William Jennings Bryan was a, a deeply religious man, uh, committed Christian, and that was, that played a big part in his life, and as we'll see in his politics as well. So three names, three denominations. How do you like that? A denomination for every name. There you go. It's almost like he's non-denominational. Uber <laughs> yeah. So his dad, being a Scotch Irish, was very much of the opinion that Andrew Jackson was an awesome president, and he passed that legacy of being a Jacksonian Democrat onto his philosophy about just about everything. Uh, he won election as a state circuit judge, and in 1866, he moved his family to a farm that was north of Salem, and they lived in this big old tin-room house in Marion County. So Brian was homeschooled for a, a lot of his life, and during that time, because his parents were deeply religious, and so was he, he studied the Bible and the McGuffey Reader. And both of those things, he thought, taught him that gambling and liquor were evil and sinful. Again, another thing that will come into play here later on. Later on, he goes to Illinois College. He becomes the valedictorian and graduates in 1881. And he's there. He's involved in a lot of different things. He starts getting involved in some different clubs and organizations he uh, takes the bar exam, he meets his future wife, and they get married just a couple years after he graduates, and they settle down in good old Jacksonville, Illinois. Yeah, so Jacksonville was a bustling metropolis of 2,000 people, and Mary was actually a lawyer, and she collaborated with William Jennings Bryan on all of his speeches and writings. And so Brian practiced law in Jacksonville from the early 1880s until 1887, and then they moved to Lincoln, Nebraska. And while in Lincoln, that's where he met James Dahlman. And despite later on Dahlman and Brian having some disagreements, they did have this amazing political relationship. As we'll see throughout William Jennings Bryan's whole life, it's a good thing he married Mary and that she was really good at helping him write speeches and writing things because he's like the the guy who talks a lot. That's just who he is. Like he 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 does a lot of speeches and and talks a lot. But in the uh in 1890 in the election, Ryan gets elected to the US House of Representatives. He's going uh from Nebraska, one of the the first con first congressional district. And in that election, he actually gets over 6,700 more votes than his closest opponent. And so, like, that's a lot more. That's a lot more than anybody else got, obviously. And he's 8,000 votes short of a majority. So he obviously gets elected. He's only the second Democrat 
to be elected to Congress um, from Nebraska. And then he gets reelected in 1892. Uh, again, he gets elected by a, a large majority. And then he runs for Senate in 1894, but the Republican gets it instead. So sorry, WJB. Yeah, he kind of fell victim to, well, not being a member of the popular party. <laughs> We've seen that happen in our lifetimes, haven't we? Yep. So in 1896, Brian takes his amazing ability to speak to the national scene where he first campaigns for the White House. As we talk about the 1896 campaign, we've, we know this for a fact and might need to go back to some of our previous episodes where we talk about the Republicans after the Civil War. And around the turn of the century, the Republicans become even more powerful, and William McKinley is the man. I mean, he's there in Ohio on his doorstep, on his porch. He's speaking to people. People are coming up to him. And William Jennings Bryan is hitting it hard all over the country. Totally different style than that of the Republicans. But on the Democratic side, you had a lot of of philosophical differences. So in the past, we've talked about how Northern Democrats differed from Southern Democrats, and now we have Midwestern Democrats and Northeastern Democrats being very different in the way they addressed everything from currency to the idea of dropping the gold standard to social issues as well. Jason, you mentioned currency, and that is a huge, huge point in Bryan's political career. In 1893, you have the repeal of the Sherman Silver Purchase Act, and basically the silver market just collapses. And William Jennings Bryan is going all over the country, talking about free silver and making sure that um, silver has a a place, and it, it ends up not. And so at the 1896 Democratic National Convention, which is his first run for the White House, he basically destroys everyone in the room, I guess you could say, or everyone (laughs) in general for using the gold standard. And basically the average worker is, you know, he's saying, Hey, they're, they're, uh, they're not getting the good end of the deal here. They're getting the short end of the stick. And he gives this speech called the cross of gold speech, which basically makes him like the man in the democratic party. He gets the, uh, he gets the nomination And a lot of people, even if they don't agree with what he said in the speech, will say, yeah, that was like the best. That's still the best speech in political history that's ever been given. So if you ever hear the cross of gold speech, just remember, that's our boy, William Jennings Bryan. Yeah. So he's so awesome that he becomes the first presidential candidate to have a car. And he's riding around in this Mueller car in Decatur, Illinois, going, hey, look at me. I'm William Jennings Bryan. I'm awesome. I give awesome speeches, and this is a car. My, my car's, <laughs> my car's made of gold, too. <laughs> so the other Democrats, we talked about the differing opinions having to do with currency, but then there were the Bourbon Democrats. The Bourbon Democrats were those who supported that more traditional Democratic platform up to this point. And if you remember, Grover Cleveland is the only Democratic president 
in this era in the late 1800s who has any success on the national scene. Brian says, forget you guys. I'm awesome. I'm riding a car. I'm all about power to the people and, and supporting the more agrarian elements of our society. And everybody goes for it. Brian wins the presidential nomination for the Democratic Party at the age of 36. Yeah, so he is at that point and still today the youngest individual to be the Democratic nominee. So then the Republicans come along and they nominate William McKinley. And William McKinley is like, all right, everybody, you see this industrial growth. You see this gold that's just, you can sink your teeth into it literally and figuratively. <laughs> uh, you, you understand these high tariffs that we're going to enact. That's prosperity for everyone. Everyone's going to be prosperous because of what I'm putting into place. I'm William McKinley and I'm the Republican nominee. And they're like mocking William Jennings Bryan and saying he's a populist. He's basically going to drag our, our country down because he believes in stupid stuff like silver. Right. And the thing is, too, with the Republicans in this era, we've talked about this very recently with that image of the Republicans being very wealthy. Uh, of course, they all have tuxedos and are, you know, they got the monocle and the whole bit. The Daddy Warbucks type Republicans. They are very much saying, hey, look at all this industrialization. This is awesome. The railroads are awesome. The banks are awesome. These huge insurance companies, they're amazing. These banks, wow, this is really cool. Uh, after all, the Republicans have Salmon P. Chase, right? And they've got all That's these right. other guys who are doing all this amazing industrialization. And Brian is like, no, this is not good. We need to break these monopolies up. And the Republicans are like, uh, excuse me, you're an idiot. Go back to Nebraska. So let's jump ahead a little bit. Brian ends up giving 500 speeches in 27 different states. <sighs> and then McKinley still wins. In the popular vote, not so much he didn't win. He, I mean, he still won, definitely in the popular vote. But in the Electoral College, he kind of destroyed Brian. He got 271 votes to 176 for William Jennings Bryan. And, uh, you know, that does it. That kind of puts the nail in the coffin. McKinley wins and William Jennings Bryan goes home with his bags full of silver. Yeah. It's like William, or William McKinley wins the presidential race from the comforts of his own porch. And poor poor Brian, I mean, he had to have been tired. But he was young, so sure. we'll give him that. Yeah. So as the party leader, as the Democratic Party leader, Brian was forced to consider his party's stance on foreign policy with the outbreak of the Spanish-American War in 1898. You see, Brian was very much a pacifist. Now, there were times where he would put that pacifism up on the shelf and be supportive, which he did support President McKinley on declaring war against Spain. But this wasn't always the way he felt about going to war or meddling in other nations' affairs. Yeah, I mean, it's even said that there were, quote, very few political figures exceeded the enthusiasm of William Jennings Bryan for the Spanish War, end quote. So, like, you know, for somebody who says they're a pacifist and acts as a pacifist and uh, at some point even steps down from positions because they're a pacifist, 
that's quite a lot to say. And, you know, Brian's argument for this is that basically you can't have peace across the world until all the injustices in the world are taken care of. And basically uh, until justice is the preeminent thing that's that's out there and in everybody's face. So he actually volunteers for duty and becomes a colonel of a militia regiment in Nebraska. And just as, you know, just as luck would have it, he gets typhoid fever and has to stay in Florida to recuperate. And he never goes to see combat, but he did enlist. Yeah. And interestingly enough, he contracts typhoid fever when he's in Florida. He stays there to recuperate. He never sees combat. And he supports the ratification of the Treaty of Paris, which, if you don't remember, that was the one that gives the United States victory over Spain and gives the U.S. control of Puerto Rico, Guam, Cuba, the Philippines, and even other parts of the West Indies. So this runs a bit contradictory to some of the things that we've heard about how Brian felt about anything having to do outside of our nation's borders. And here, the United States is now in the business of territories, former Spanish territories. Yeah, and it's interesting because... William Jennings Bryan basically says, look, imperialism, this thing that you Republicans do, the American people need to decide what we want to do about this. Not Congress. Congress shouldn't get to decide big things like this that affect our entire country. And then as the uh, as the aspirations of the Republicans grew and grew and grew, he's like, OK, wait, stop it. Stop. I don't want the, <laughs> I don't know if I really want this to keep going anymore. He actually gave a speech at the 1900 Democratic National Convention titled Imperialism. And he says, you know, he, he talks, he discusses his views against uh, bringing the Philippines into the U.S. He basically says, does our country really have the power to just like take a country from somebody else just to get a military base? We probably shouldn't be like Great Britain in this respect. Remember how that worked out for them. When we decided we didn't want that anymore, yeah. uh, I, I don't really think this is a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so interesting because of this perceived flip-flopping, which I don't know. Let's just call it the way it is. He flip-flopped. He runs in 1900 as an anti-imperialist, and he's even getting along with Andrew Carnegie, who is, as we all know, a very much an industrialist and others who had fought against silver like Andrew Carnegie, you have this unholy alliance. So the Republicans are looking across the aisle and they are saying, Hey, William Jennings, Bryan, you got a really cool name, but you're indecisive. You seem a little bit cowardly and hmm, you're like that cowardly lion in the wizard of Oz. Which came out, by the way, in 1900. Yeah, uh, he probably seemed like the Wizard of Oz's Cowardly Lion because L. Frank Baum, he basically based the Cowardly Lion off of William Jennings Bryan. So, Hmm. you know, it may have had some foundation in reality, but maybe he overdid it too. Who knows? Anyway, uh, William Jennings Bryan, during the campaign for the 1900 election, would give four hour-long speeches 
he'd give some shorter talks as well, which, you know, total would be about six hours of speaking. And he spoke at about 175 words per minute, which, you know, go ahead and do that math. It's about 63,000 words a day. And that's like a good portion of a newspaper, today's yeah. newspapers. Uh, it, there was one time in Wisconsin where he actually, he was like, I've got 15 hours to kill. How about I give 12 <laughs> speeches? Why not? Right. And you, you got to remember there was travel time in between there as well. So uh, and I don't think he was known for his brevity in his speeches either. So dude can talk like we mentioned earlier. Yeah. So he's flapping his jaws all over America. <laughs> well, well, McKinley is like, oh, hey, everybody. It's great to be I in could Ohio. use some moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> the Republicans win again. And, yeah. you know, it's it's really fascinating behind all of this because so this really changes the dynamic a bit for the Democrats because you had pockets of Democrat strongholds in the Northeast. Of course, you had the South and areas, a few areas out West. Well, now Brian is only holding his own in the South. The Northeast is going solid Republican, and it's going to stay that way for quite some time into the future. McKinley wins the Electoral College count with 292 votes as compared to Brian's 155. So Brian is starting to lose his clutches even on the Democratic Party. Yeah. And by the way, any of these elections that we're talking about, if you want to dive deeper into them, the reason we're not is because we've already done entire episodes on them. So, you know, go back and look for the ones labeled election of 1908, of 1904, of 1900. They're pretty interesting, if if I do say so myself, which, of course, I do. Uh, anyway, 1908, I just gave it away. But guess what? Brian's running again. They <laughs> nominate him by a pretty much a landslide at the convention. And then uh, John Kern, who is his running mate, is a guy from Indiana. And guess who he's running against? William Howard Taft. Hmm. Wonder who's going to win this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got Theodore Roosevelt's hand-picked successor in William Howard Taft, which we are going to call him by his three names as well. And Brian is saying that Congress is needing to step in income and inheritance taxes are good they need to be open about where campaign contributions are coming from and uh, he opposes the use of the navy for the collection of private debts sounds good right and he's also campaigning against corporate domination and saying that corporate contributions to elections should be made public before election day. That sounds good, doesn't it? However, so the Republicans are totally rocking it right now. And people don't seem to mind these monopolies, right? Yeah. Plus, you've got Teddy Roosevelt, who's, you know, still in office. You know, they just create this postal service. They've got the, the currency going for them. They've got Puerto Rico giving them citizenship to their inhabitants. They're like, hey, big business, we're going to regulate you. So why wouldn't you want to vote for the Republicans? And guess what? Uh, everybody does. <laughs> the Republicans win. Uh, obviously, we uh, we kind of already mentioned that. But William Howard Taft, 
gets the vote, gets to be the president. William Jennings Bryan is like, what the heck do I have to do? <laughs> I just, I lost this one bad. I lost 321 to 162. That's like the worst one I've ever had. Yeah, but let's turn this lemon into some lemonade, right? Let's go and speak. So now we are going to wrap it up a little bit because we've pretty much concluded the whole election deal. There's a little bit of politics still left in William Jennings Bryan's career. But he goes around after his defeat, his third defeat, and speaks on the Chautauqua circuit. He does this for about 12 years, and he's making 500 bucks a speech. And he's getting all kinds of profits. He's talking about religion. He's talking about morality. He's talking about uh, Darwinism and social Darwinism and the effects of that. He's aligning himself with all kinds of different denominations, uh, Christian denominations. And he's using these strong speaking skills that he has for good. Yeah, so jump up to 1913, Woodrow Wilson appoints Bryan as the Secretary of State, which, you know, that's the top cabinet position for anybody who's forgotten about those guys way back in the day who used to start out as Secretary of State and pretty much just, oh, yeah, you're going to be president. He really, this is the only chance that William Jennings Bryan gets to serve in a, like a, a huge, big, powerful office, even though he ran for president like, you know, three times. Right. And... Woodrow Wilson really only nominally consulted him, kind of like he kind of made all the big decisions himself and just kind of put William Jennings Bryan in there as like, a, eh, yeah, this is a nice nod to you, but I'm going to still take care of most of this stuff. Yeah. And you still have these moments where Bryan puts his pacifism on the shelf. In 1914, there's a civil war in Mexico and Bryan is like, Hey, military, U.S. military, yeah, I'm behind us getting involved in that. So Brian is a pretty busy guy in his role as the Secretary of State. He's negotiating treaties. He's trying to negotiate heavily with Germany. And he and Wilson have a disagreement over this. And there's a lot to say about the disagreement, but... It leads to Brian resigning in June 1915. Now, the crazy thing about this is Brian doesn't go on a crusade to bust against Wilson because the next year with Wilson's reelection campaign, Brian is supporting Wilson. But you see this flip-flop, you see this return to pacifism, he can't handle it anymore. He resigns this most important position that he ever has. All right. So another piece of opposition is prohibition. William Jennings Bryan is pro-prohibition because, you know, we talked about earlier, he believed from a religious point of view that alcohol is evil, but he also was very much in favor of women's suffrage. So a lot of people actually would put those two things hand in hand because the women's suffrage movement had a lot to do with the prohibition movement. Anyway... William Jennings Bryan is totally in support of the Prohibition Amendments. He's totally all on board. He goes out and actually campaigns for them. He is like the epitome of what it is to be a prohibitionist. 
And so he actually helped Congress pass the 18th Amendment, which shut down, you know, all the saloons and the bars and everything in, in 1920. And then it's kind of interesting because prohibition's in effect, but William Jennings Bryan's like, eh, okay, cool. So you guys got this. That's all I got to say about it. And then, of course, it came back. Yeah. Probably one of the biggest things with Brian, while all of this is going on, he starts buying some real estate in Florida, starts helping out with the development of Coral Gables, Florida, and starts making a lot of money doing that. And he's still speaking. And eventually, in 1925, he gets involved in the Scopes trial. And this is all in alignment with this uh, perspective that Brian had of the influence of Darwinism on our culture. And keep in mind that a lot of uh, colleges at this time were affiliated with religious denominations. And many of these colleges were becoming more accepting of the teaching of evolution and Darwinism. And he very much was um, speaking out against that. And he stated that many of society's ills are because of this teaching and um, even some of the events in Europe going on and some of the, the rhetoric that was going on in Germany and, and in France. So Brian is the representative of the Christian fundamentalist side of the Scopes trial. And they do, his side does win uh, the court case, but he dies five days later. Yeah. And he actually, uh, he actually won the court case, but then later the Supreme Court reverses everything on a technicality. So yeah, five days later, William Jennings Bryan is chilling at home. He goes to church, eats a big meal, and then while he's taking a nap, he dies. Man, Ben, did you read some of the things in your research about what his opponents said about him? It just seems really dirty. There there was a, a reporter who um, said something about, you know, what did he die of? And, and they jokingly said he died of having a big meal um, where others were like, he died of a broken heart, you know, just some heartless sayings. It was kind of sad that he was hated that much. Yeah. Yeah. He was hated, but I think he also was very much loved by a lot of people, obviously who were on his political side and shared ideals with him. So he's very much a polarizing figure in history and probably did much more for politics and elections and was more involved in elections than, uh, well, probably almost any other single individual we discussed or have discussed. So I know we mentioned many, many times back when we were going through the elections one by one, hey, this is the guy. You're going to be hearing about him for a while. And, you know, here we are still talking about him however many episodes later. Yeah, I think Harry Truman credited William Jennings Bryan with what modern liberalism is and, and the truest essence of the word. And then on the other side, you have, and not really the other side, because remember the, the social issues and 
the economic issues many times um, have gone back and forth between Democrats and Republicans or libertarian or constitutionalist or whatever uh, your perspective is. But uh, people who uh, tend to be labeled religious right um, would be very much in agreement with William Jennings Bryan on his social perspective. And many of those on the religious left would be very much in favor of the way he handled um, economic policy and the role of government. So that's not what this podcast is about to divide or anything. We're just here to state what it is, but uh, he definitely had something to contribute to the way we see politics today. And so thank you, William Jennings, Bryan. You spoke up for what you believed in. And yeah, there were some moments that seemed a little inconsistent, but uh, don't we all have those inconsistencies? Yeah. Sometimes flip-flopping is really just changing your mind, I think. So, hey, if you uh, if you changed your mind and you decided, you know what? This is the last day that I'm going to be a person who has not reviewed election college. <laughs> Go ahead. Change your mind. Become someone who is going to review election college. Head on over to iTunes and spend 90 seconds or 30 or 60 or however long it takes you. Maybe you're a slow typer. I don't know. And just type out a little review for us saying how much you like the show. Please give us a review uh, and a star rating. We would really appreciate that. And then you know what? Just tell one friend, one single friend. You've probably got a lot of friends on Facebook. Just tell all of them even. Just make a post. Who cares? Just do it. Yeah. And um, while you're on the interwebs, the internet, whatever that thing is that has the search bar, go ahead and do your shopping on Amazon.com. But don't just type in Amazon.com. Type electioncollege.com slash Amazon and do your shopping. And what that does is it doesn't cost you anything, but we get a an affiliate credit for any dollar that you spend using Amazon. So electioncollege.com slash Amazon, and it helps us take care of some of the costs for hosting this program. Please go ahead and connect with us on our Facebook and Twitter pages and Instagram as well. You want to chime in there and see pretty pictures. We asked some questions this week and got some responses, including the one about this episode. Uh, we had talked about William Jennings Bryan having his own episode in the past, but we said, hey, who do you want to hear about? And somebody said, William Jennings Bryan. And guess what? They got their wish. Hopefully they enjoyed it. But uh, so you could you could answer a question and your episode could get made. So make sure you're uh, checking us out on all those platforms as well. Yeah. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.